Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you all. Thanks for being here. We are wrapping up a series we've been in for about six weeks now called The Five Essentials for Growth. We've been talking about these five essentials that God uses over and over and over in our lives to grow our faith. They never go out of style. They never stop being powerful. It doesn't matter how old you are. God still wants to use them right down to this moment. If you missed any of these, by the way, uh, and you'd like to know what are the other four that I missed, uh, I encourage you to go to our website, brazosfellowship.com, and check them out. They're all there uh, over these past weeks. But all five of these, and we're going to look at the fifth one today, we've been talking about these are things that God uses to grow big faith. Every story that you hear someone give the stories of the Bible, all will contain these principles that God has used over and over again. And they're the things that grow big faith. This is one of the big things that you see over and over that God is trying to reestablish that gets lost between him and people. That he wants faith. He wants trust. And you may be asking, well, why is faith so important? I mean, I don't know why I need that so much. And maybe it's something that you have struggled with. Let me explain uh, kind of like the progression of faith real quick, because this applies not only to a relationship with God, but really with any person. If you're in a relationship with your spouse, with a friend, with a, a sibling, with a mom and dad, whoever, this is how it works. That faith, or as we've been defining faith, complete trust, when you have trust in someone, you tend to want to be vulnerable. You feel like it's a safe place to be vulnerable, thereby you get closer There's intimacy in a relationship because there's vulnerability, and there's vulnerability because there's trust and there's faith in one another. As soon as you stop trusting someone, I guarantee you, you won't be vulnerable and you won't feel close. You will never feel close to someone you can't trust. Isn't that true? And same thing with God. <clears throat> Some of you have said, well, maybe that, maybe you're having the aha right now. Maybe that's why I'm not very close with people or I'm not very close with God. I've just never really felt like or, or allowed myself to trust him. And this is one of the things that I want to show you. He, these are the avenues by which God uses to grow faith in us. And we've talked about four of them up to this time. But this morning, here's the fifth one I want to talk to you about that God's going to use to grow big faith. It's called personal ministry. Personal ministry is simply meeting a need. If I can put it as simply as I possibly can, meeting a need or meeting needs is what ministry is all about. Christian ministry is meeting needs in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's really that simple. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have any other, you know, formal education to begin to meet needs. It's just that simple. Um, And many, many stories, and you've heard them. Some of them are your stories, okay, of faith uh, in your own life and how you've grown or even big breakthroughs in your faith with your relationship with the Lord has to do with ministry. And Many times, here's how it happened. You saw a need. You saw a need in a person or a group of people or maybe in a ministry, and you kind of felt this nudge. Like, you you just couldn't get it off your mind. You kept thinking about it, and you kept thinking about it, and you, you felt woefully inadequate to meet the need, but 
maybe through a process of things you decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead and trust anyway, and I'm going to try, and you stepped up and you tried to meet the need, and God did something amazing through just what you were able to offer. He did something amazing in your life, and you wound up learning to trust God on a level that you otherwise would have never if you hadn't stepped up. And today I want to talk to you about this tension that happens, this sort of tug of war that happens in our hearts when we see a need, we feel that nudge, we see that, that unmet need, and we feel like, okay, somebody ought to do something. But the moment that you see it, I, and, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, this is, this is how it happens for a lot of people, we automatically feel a little afraid, like there's this inadequacy in us that says, no, 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 if you say yes to God, if you say yes, and many times this is how God leads us into personal ministry, we'll see a need, we feel that nudge, we can't seem to shake it, we can't get off of our mind, we get, God will use that to nudge us towards meeting that need. But when we say yes, we know, this is a little scary part, we know it's going to force us out of our comfort zone. And our comfort zone represents, like, here's what we know how to do. These are the people that I know. This is the circumstance I know. These are the skills I know how to use. But God is going to force us outside that comfort zone. And, and, and let me just say, you probably already know this, but all growth in your life is going to happen beyond your comfort zone. And I mean, that's going to happen for you physically when you get outside your comfort zone of physicality. That's when you start getting in shape. When intellectually, you start growing when you start reading things that are outside of what you already know. God will do the same thing spiritually. He's going to force you to exercise spiritual muscles you've never used before. But it's scary because you don't know how to do that yet. And it's outside of what you're comfortable with. But God knows something about us that we forget. That personal ministry, even though it meets a need, the big objective that God is doing through personal ministry is not the big ministry, the big objective isn't meeting needs, even though needs get met through it. The fact is that God could meet those needs without us. He's not sitting up there going, oh, I hope somebody steps up or the need will never get met. You know, like he's not, he could actually do it over and over in scripture. We're told God is fully sufficient to take care of needs without us, but he chooses to use us to meet needs because he knows through the process, we come to trust him, which will make us vulnerable with him. And we come to become close with him then more than nearly anything else that our faith comes in contact with. It forces us to trust God through the process of personal ministry. Now, there's a place in the New Testament, one of the biggest places, where Jesus teaches this principle to the disciples. And we're going to take a look at it today. And it's found in the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 14. Now, before we dive into the passage where we're going to get started today, let me just give you some historical context for this account that we're going to look at today. This was a moment directly after Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had just been executed. He had been beheaded by Herod the Great. And so Jesus had just gotten word. He is mourning the loss of this family member slash very good friend of his who was a front runner for his ministry. So he is sort of seeking some solitary uh, place 
to, to, to process this and really to be alone with the Father. There's, there's Jesus doing the private disciplines we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, being alone with the Father, to talk to the Father. So he gets in a boat and pushes off into the Sea of Galilee, and he's kind of making his way across the lake. But what's amazing is that Jesus' ministry, and by this point in his public ministry life, had grown so much that the moment that his boat would come into a dock somewhere, people would just gather by the hundreds, sometimes the thousands. And so Jesus decided, you know what, I'm going to spend time talking to the Father a little bit later. There's a huge need right here in front of me. Jesus shows us like what great faith looks like. So he steps off the boat, and he begins to meet the needs of the people right there in front of him. And we're going to start with verse 14, and I want you to see what Jesus does in this moment. It's just pretty extraordinary. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. They go on to say, Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, let's read the highlighted words together. Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Jesus is saying, I get it. We got a lot of hungry people out here. And we're far away from any food source. And we need to feed them. And you, you're tempted to send them away. But I'm telling you, it's not necessary to send them away. Because I want you to feed them. Now, do you feel the tension in this moment right here? The disciples are going, wait, uh, maybe we didn't explain the situation really well. Let's, let's back up for a second. We have no like, food right now. And so, and so here, Jesus is saying, no, I want you to meet this need. And, and this is the, the place where a lot of us find ourselves in this tension. That like, okay, I see a need and I'm thinking, wow, somebody needs to meet that need. Somebody ought to do something, but, you know, I don't feel like it ought to be me, but God begins to nudge your heart. You can't seem to get it off your mind. God uses that nudge many times to get a hold of somebody's attention so that he can use that man or woman to do something great through their life. And maybe you even have a prayer where you feel like God's nudging you and you're saying, God, you know, I... Uh, I see this need, it's very real, and I think somebody ought to meet it. You know, Lord, I, I, you know, I really think you ought to send somebody to meet the need. And God responds, yeah, that's a really good idea. Okay, it's you. I want you to meet the need. Okay, God, uh, I'm not the guy to meet the need or the girl to meet the need. I'm the one who prays for the one who goes to meet the need. Like, that's what I do. That's my part of the thing. And God's saying, no, I want you. You're the one I'm picking. I want you. I put it on your heart. I'm nudging you. I'm prompting you. I'm not going to leave you alone about this. I want you to meet the need. To which you probably go, okay, God, well, I don't want to really argue with you, so I'm trying to be respectful here, but you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong girl. <laughs> Please pick somebody else. But it's in that moment, that tension moment, where God's saying, will you trust me? Will you have faith in me in this moment? Will you be willing to step out even though you don't know how all this is going to play out? How you don't know how this is going to land. Will you trust me in this moment? Now, this is really extraordinary. Here's what happens next. Let's see what the disciples do next. Verse 17, here's what they say. But we have, let's say it together, but we have 
only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. What did they do? They did exactly what we all do. They started making excuses. They were saying, but Jesus, you know, I, we, we admire your great faith, Jesus. I mean, clearly that's awesome, what you want to do here. But here's what we got. We just you know, scan the crowd to see if like anybody brought a bag of potato chips or something, right? And here's all we have. We've got five little loaves and two fish. One young man happened to bring a lunch. You know, he's the only one that thought ahead, okay? But (laughs) so this is all we have. You ever had those moments with God where you say, well, Jesus, I only have this amount, I only have, I don't really have enough. I can't really do this. I'm totally inadequate. You got the wrong guy. We're trying to build our case, aren't we, to God that we got you got the wrong person and I can't do this. Well, it's interesting here to see what Jesus does next in verse 18. What does he tell them to do with the two fish and the five loaves? He says this: bring them, bring them here to me. He said, bring them here. Bring them right here. In other words, Jesus says, bring me what you have. I want you to bring me what you have. So what is your excuse today when God begins to nudge you, when you notice there's a need, somebody needs to meet it, God won't leave you alone about it, and he's wanting to use you to meet the need? And maybe your excuse today is, God, I got like limited education about this. I don't really know enough about it. Jesus said, that's okay. Bring me what you got. Bring it here. Bring me what you have. And maybe the next one is, I've got no experience with this, Jesus. Like, I don't, I haven't worked with these kinds of people, or I don't really know what to expect. I don't, that's okay. Bring it here. Just bring me what you have. Maybe the next one is, I come from a broken home. Jesus, if you knew, I'm I'm sure you do, the kind of home I grew up in, the kind of junk that went on, the stuff, I mean, like you wouldn't be asking me to do this today. And I think to which Jesus might say, have you read your Bible? Have you read how messed up most of these people are that I use throughout the Bible? Oh my gosh, you're calling yourself excluded from what I can do. Do you see the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament was killing Christians before I called him? Right? Don't you tell me who I can and can't call. You just bring me what you got. Here's the next one. Maybe I've made a lot of mistakes, Jesus. I've blown it royally. I've really messed up, and I've got a reputation for having messed up. That's all right. You know what? That makes you more relatable to more people who are messing up right now. And the fact that I've been moving and working in your life and helping you to start making wise choices instead of foolish choices that turn into mistakes, you could help guide somebody else now. Don't don't look at it as a negative. You keep focusing on what you don't have and what you can't do. And that that cripples you with fear and inadequacy. But I'm telling you, those things can be leveraged for good. And finally, maybe it's, I don't have enough money, time, energy. It's okay. Bring me what you have. You don't have much. That's okay. Most people don't have much. And I've used people that don't have much time, money, and energy to change the world, but they have to be willing to trust me and take a step towards me and I'm going to use them. Now, what's interesting is that once they brought to Jesus what they have, when they brought it here, when they brought it to him, 
Watch what he does with it. Verse 19. This is beautiful. Then he told the people, sit down on the grass. So on the hillside, they all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and what did he do? And, and blessed them. He put his blessing on what they had, even though it was very limited, arguably, not nearly enough, but he put his blessing on it. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. And each of the 12 disciples, we find out later, had a basket, all right? And this basket was what they were to serve from. And was what's interesting, so just imagine for a moment, Jesus takes the, you know, two fish, five loaves, he blesses it, he, put, he prays over it, and then you're one of the 12 disciples. You're just standing there with your basket, you know, just waiting, and Jesus breaks it up into 12 equal portions, and you're looking down in your basket at this little tiny amount, like maybe, maybe enough for you, probably not even enough for you to eat, and you're thinking to yourself, this is going to be awkward, Okay. I mean, look out there, there's 5,000 men plus their wives and children. This is going to be weird. Okay, so, all right, guys, I'm ready to do this. Okay, Jesus, we'll be back in a minute, like literally a minute, you know. So what did they know how to do? None of those guys knew how to feed 5,000. They knew how to take what Jesus had given them and serve that. Take what Jesus gave them and share it with somebody starting with those closest to them. Do you see a principle beginning to emerge out of this? You take what you've been given, what's been blessed, and you start by sharing that with those closest to you. This is what they did. And something miraculous happened. That it went way further. It had a much greater impact than anybody would have dreamed just by them being faithful to take what Jesus had blessed, what he had given them, what they had submitted to him, he blessed, he, they took it, and they began to share it. Here's what they learned, ladies and gentlemen. They simply did what they knew to do. This is all they knew to do. They didn't know how to do the 5,000 thing. They just knew how to get started. They got started, and Jesus did what only Jesus could do. This is what they learned. And I want you to remember this statement the next time you get nudged. The next time you feel that, oh, somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to step up and help meet that need. It just won't go away. It's kind of nagging at you a little bit. It's nudging at you a little bit. What ought to be done about this? But it, it's God saying, you need to sign up. You need to put your name on the list. You need to volunteer. You need to fill out the cards, send it in. You need to be the one to pick up the phone and call them and invite them. I want you to text an encouragement. Pray for somebody and, and send them a text. Hey, I just want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you today. I hope you're doing well. I want you to be the one to go on the mission trip or, or to go on the trip or to, to help with or to come early, stay late, to help out, to go assist, to go serve, to go whatever. I want you to do that. And when God begins to nudge your heart like that, I'm telling you, there will be a tug of war. There's going to be a moment where you're going to say, ooh, moving out of my comfort zone is going to be scary and uncomfortable. But I want you to know that God has in mind for you great faith-growing 
seasons ahead. And he can't do that unless you're willing to take a bold step outside of the status quo, what you're used to, what you've been doing, your day-to-day, the things you already know how to do. You got that down. You know how, you've got that wired. You figured that out. But he's saying, I want to use you in a way you never dreamed. But you're going to have to bring the little that you have. You feel inadequate. I get it. But I want to teach you how to have a completely different response when my Holy Spirit begins to nudge your heart towards a need. Here's the new response that he wants to develop in us. Here's our response. I will do what I can do. And I'm going to trust you to do what only you can do. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to step out. Though this scares the living daylights out of me, I'm going to do it. Because I know your goal in my life is to grow bigger faith, not just to let me coast on in from here. And when God puts a need on your heart to meet, even greater than the meeting of that need is the growing of your faith that will come out of it. Yes, he will meet needs, and yes, that's important, and yes, it's something that God does. But as I said earlier, God could arguably meet the need without us. He doesn't have to have us. He chooses to use us because he knows it does such good for our hearts. And what's beautiful is this this isn't just true of the biblical narrative, the biblical historical account, but it's true all the way down through history right down to this very moment. Every story of people who had great faith, every story of a ministry's birth, a church's birth, a a missions organization's birth, it comes down to, it's funny, you will see the same story recapitulated over and over and over and over and over. It seems like it happens all the, every time, always the same way. And it's typically like this. I kind of wrote out my version of it. It's kind of simple. Any story where God has accomplished amazing, something amazing, here's what you will almost always see something like this. God nudges someone's heart, someone to meet a need, right? And then secondly, and if somebody's really honest, they'll tell you there was this moment where they argued with God. God, I can't do that because I don't have the money. I don't have the people. I don't have the organizational structure. I don't have the connections. I don't have the education. I don't have the experience. I don't have the... I'm missing some stuff. There's stuff I don't know how to do. There's stuff that I I need, but I don't have. There's opportunities. There's connections. All those things seem to be missing, God. But they they come to a place where uh, next God basically says, I want you just to bring me what you have. You don't have to argue with me about it. Just bring me what you have. And then finally, they learn to pray this, that I will do what I can do, and I trust you to do what only you can do. There was this, this, this surrendering of, God, I, I'm not going to fight you on this anymore. I'm just going to step out and trust you. I'm going to bring my fishes and loaves and let you bless it, and you show me what you want to do through this. And... I see this over and over, and what's interesting is that people who have been through that process and where God has used them in a great way, they are the quickest men and women to tell you, I didn't do this. I can take no credit, no glory for this at all. They will deflect any award or any kind of trophy or anything you want to give them. They will say, I'm not trying to be just super spiritual here. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for God's intervention, none of this would have happened because I did not have it to give. I could not pull this off. And they 
will tell you, I just felt like I needed to get involved. I needed to, you know, do something. And, and God took what I had and he multiplied it. And he made something impactful and amazing out of meager, meager beginnings. And I can't take credit for that. And this is exactly how the disciples felt. It's exactly how I feel when I think about the early days of Brazos Fellowship. Back in 2004, when I felt the first nudge that maybe God was wanting us to move from way south Texas, Leslie and I, amazing, beautiful, intelligent, godly wife that I have. I'm just amazed at how she, God has used her over and over to help me make it through really hard times. And she was right there by my side during that time. And I remember us praying. And I remember, I mean, I wished I could say, oh, I was just such a godly man of faith. And I said, okay, Lord, we'll load the car and leave tonight, okay? But that's not what happened. I was like, God, there's some important things like we have no money. We don't know any, we don't know any people. We don't have any place to meet. I mean, I could go on. But those are three pretty important things right there if you want to start a church in a town where you don't live, you know, and you're going to have to move there. And what was amazing is that in a very, very short period of time, God put me in touch with a man named Ben Betcher, who, who, who passed away about a year ago. He's with Jesus today. Amaz he was my fishes and loaves. He was the first step. And it was like, God, okay, I know Ben, and we're going to get started. And we had a dinner at his house. He and Cindy, I see Cindy back there. We had a, we had a dinner at their house, invited people that they knew and shared the vision and we just got started like we didn't know all how this was going to unfold and what it was going to look like. It was crazy. But God took what we had and he blessed it. He, he, he used it and leveraged it for his kingdom. Every step, I'm telling you, over and over and over, it wasn't Will. It was not me. I promise I had nothing, like almost nothing to do with it. I just showed up and did my little part. But God continued to bless over and over and over. And one of the things, this is not original to me or to Brazos Fellowship, but I have seen God use this principle over and over. And that is this, that God doesn't call the equipped, the people who already know how to do it, he equips the called. He will equip you as you follow the call. As you trust him and you step out and you say, God, I am scared to death right now, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to move to a town where I don't know people. And we're going to go ahead and just start. We're just going to get the ball rolling. We're just going to see what happens. And the momentum begins to build. And before you know it, you look down and your basket has way more in it than when you started. And you go, how did that even get there? I don't know. It's crazy. Let's just keep serving. Let's see what happens. And God does this miracle. He still does it right down to this day. I tell you the story today of how we got started, not to brag on our church, but to say this principle doesn't change just because we're in 2019. It's still just as real and powerful today. Another principle that we've kind of derived out of it, Leslie and I have through the years, is this one, where God guides, He provides where he guides, he provides. He is the great provider. And he has a way of revealing his provision through the guiding of his people. 
But if you don't step out and you don't trust, you miss out on something beautiful and miraculous and powerful, this manifestation of God's faithfulness you never get to see because you never step out and trust. It's scary, yes, but it is so worth it. And some of you will never have that spiritual faith breakthrough unless you're willing to say, God, if you can use me, and the if is a absolutely he can, I want you to use me to meet a need. I want you to, to, to use my life to better someone else's, to bless somebody else's. And he will. I love how this story wraps up in verses 20 and 21. It says that they all had as much as they wanted. They were all full. Bellies are full. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Two fish, five loaves. And afterward, the disciples picked up how many baskets? Up to 12, picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. And by the way, just as a kind of a side note, how many disciples were they? There were also 12, right? 12, one basket for each disciple. It's like Jesus is saying, everybody gets a take-home gift today, all right? A little reminder, a little snack that you can, you know, chew on throughout the evening to remind you of what I taught you here today. Don't you forget it. And what's interesting is that this was feeding about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Most biblical historians would say this is probably really about 20 to 25,000 total people sitting on the hillside, right? Lots and lots. and I mean, 5,000 is impossible. 25,000, just more impossible, okay? It's just an amazing miracle. But if you were to ask any of those men, how did you do that? How did you feed the 5,000? Well, first you need to know, I didn't, okay? All I did was what Jesus asked me to do. I served what he gave me. I, I, I started passing it out. He fed those people. He nourished them. He made full bellies. He, he's the one who did all of that. I just got to be a witness. I got front row seats to see a miracle. It was incredible. And believe you me, the next time he comes calling, I'm going to put my yes on the table and say, yes, I'm in. I'll do it. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes me, how scared I am, how many inadequacies I have to like struggle through. I'm going to say yes anyway. I'm going to do it. And the question I have for you today is, where is he nudging you today? Where is a need that he has shown you, or maybe he's showing you today, he's revealing it to you, it's not going away, it seems like it's just there, it's on your mind a lot, and it's time for you to do something. And maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe it's in this church. As a matter of fact, if there's a place, a ministry in this church that you might be interested in plugging into, I want to just point your attention to this purple card in the seat back in front of you called the Connect Card. And in this card, on the very back, I want to just encourage you to take a moment to say, and just, you know, during our prayer time even, just to say, God, is there a place in a ministry here at Brazos Fellowship that you would like for me to plug into? And simply just look at that list. Maybe it's a small group ministry, kids, youth, college, welcome teams, music, production team, the starting point class, which is a, a class to help people to take first steps in their walk with God. You know, 
Who knows where God might want you to? Maybe you want to check two or three of those things and just get information, and we will help you to make the right choice to help you to make that next step to get involved and get plugged in and just try to feel out and figure out where you need to be. And so I just encourage you, fill that out today. Let us know how we can get in touch with you. You can drop it in the silver can on your way out today. But I just want to encourage you today to say, God, where? Where are you nudging me? Where would you like me to get involved? Because he wants to use you to make a difference. Here's the application prayer I'm asking you to pray with me today. Simply saying, Lord, I say yes to your nudging today. I'll bring you whatever I have, and I trust you to do the part that only you can do. Jesus, please grow my faith. This is really just a prayer to say, wherever I am, I want to grow. And, and maybe this growing your faith today is taking the very first step in beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ, of receiving his forgiveness for your sin and asking him to be the Lord over your life. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.